All right, we are live. It's the Meanest House podcast, episode 212. I'm your host, Mean to Say What? I'm Shana B. So we're waiting for uh, Garnett to trickle in. And apparently Dexter is becoming a pastor or something. He was a teacher, man. He a pastor. <laughs> Dexter is a man of many hats, teaching, pastoring. What's next for him? <laughs> But he's at some pastor thing. I don't know. What is that? That's he's an at. installation. So somebody's being like, so they might have been pastor in the church, but they're being officially installed as like a pastor. Oh, OK, cool. <laughs> so uh, Dexter's being a good religious person. So mm-hmm. he's not here today. Uh, we have a special guest joining us in a couple of minutes. Her name is Thelma Wright. She is a uh, woman from Philadelphia who has been featured on various like gangster documentaries, crime documentaries about her time selling drugs in Philly and taking over uh, the business that her husband built Mm -hmm. after he passed away. So I'm really interested to talk to her because she was doing this in the 80s. There weren't a lot of women being the heads of drug organizations in the 80s. I mean, there's not a lot now that we know of. Right, right. But definitely not in the 80s, okay? So so, uh, Thelma will be um, joining us in a couple of minutes. Before she gets on, I want to hop on to what's in our feed. There's a lot of drama going on with Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. There are literally so many headlines every day that I didn't even know what to pick to kind of outline for today. So I think the biggest thing is more so they're struggling to co-parent. I, I think uh, initially uh, when divorce- nice word, Mina. <laughs> <laughs> initially, when they started to go through the divorce, it seems like they were all kumbaya, you know, and mm-hmm. amicable and everything was like so, you know, hush, hush and, and polite. And then Kim got a boyfriend. And I felt like when Kim became public with her boyfriend, everything started to go left. Mm-hmm. Kanye has said that he hasn't been told where his daughter's birthday parties are. Uh, he has not been allowed to see them whenever he wants or he's um, not even allowed to have a say in, in social media if they're on or not. He's asked for a public apology um, from the Kardashians. What, wh- why is this happening? This is a mess. Definitely his ego is bruised. Because as we know, like you said, when they first had a divorce, it was like kind of amicable. Uh, but then he went through the whole, like he wanted his wife back. You know, and he went, and the thing I think might be a little bit weird is I don't know that they were friends because again, we know this industry, people can be very much associated and not friends. But I guess he had hung out with Pete Davidson quite a few times. And what we do know is he went with Kim to that Saturday Saturday Night Live that she did, which seemed to really kind of spark things with her and Pete. Who knows if they were dating before? So I don't know if it was more like, really? Like, real, like again, like a bigger ego bruise that it kind of caused this pettiness because it's ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. Now, like, I feel like I'm about to be with them, like how people was with Will J for a minute. Like, I don't want to know all this. Right. I don't want to know all this. (laughs) Yeah. And it's definitely a lot of uh, FYI's going on. Kanye is sharing everything on social media. I do think that that serves its purpose. Right. So when he couldn't get into Chicago's birthday party, I get why you would go on social media. Yeah. Yeah. And clearly that worked for him. 
because then Travis Scott was, yep. you know, what what's going to happen is they're all at the birthday party and they're like, oh, my God, Kanye West is going in, you know, on on social media. Let's let me just send him the address. Right. <laughs> But now it's getting to the point where it's like, Kanye, you don't have to put all of this. He's releasing text messages from their cousins, (laughs) (laughs) private DMs. (laughs) He's tagging Barack Obama in his post. (laughs) Like Barack's going to come down and help him. (laughs) But to your point about serving a purpose, I mean, now I did hear him say, again, in one of his many rants, like maybe even when they were kind of amicable, he did say something about the TikTok with his daughter, with North. And I feel like it was one of those things like now where he realizes social media is helping him. It was like, oh, I'm going to run this back. I'm going to bring this back up. And it kind of served a purpose because, you know, it did have TikTok really look into the account. And if, you know, Kim or North were breaking the rules of the type of account that they had. So to your point, some of it is definitely petty, but it's like petty with a purpose, I guess, in his mind. I don't know. I don't right. know. So I'm accepting Thelma right into the podcast right yeah. now. So we will wait for Thelma to uh, come on. Oh, there she is. Hi. Oh, right on time. Hello. Yes, Thelma with the glasses and the hair. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Great. Thank you for joining us. Thelma Wright is joining us. I don't really want to call you a queen pin. Is that how I should refer to you? Boss lady? Like, what is your title? Please tell us, Thelma. 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 (laughs) Thelma. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, like the queen pin title. I never looked at myself that way. And I think that was the hook to get everybody's attention to you know, what my life was like in the past. Right. Do you feel like it follows you and you like, don't like it? Like, stop bringing me back to that space. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I'm okay with the space because in order to understand what I'm doing today, you have to understand what I did back then. So I'm okay with that. I just don't like the title queen pin because I was never, (laughs) I was never that chick. Like I was never the one who was running around, you know, trying to, Hook everybody up. That wasn't me. Yeah, because when I think of Queen Pin, I think yeah. of like Queen of the South. You putting hits right. out on people. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you yeah. move, like you, you on a private jet, you know. Well, yeah, like that, transporting but, uh, cocaine and stuff. That's what I think in my brain. Like Mary no. J. Blige and Power. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> totally, totally different. Totally different. I mean, e- even the way that that I did things was so low that if you weren't someone that I was doing business with, you would not have known what I was doing. And I believe that's what kept me safe along with God. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, I, I, that, that's not me at all. That's not even my personality. I'll just, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, but in you are a woman that was doing things that a lot of men couldn't even do. So some of it, you know, might come off like, and again, you don't want the title, but it kind of, for some people, it's almost like a respect thing because you were able to successfully do what you were doing as a woman. To, to right. this way, it wasn't many women, many women doing what you were doing. Not on that level. You're right. And so I understand that it's going to be with me and it's going to stick with me, but it's not a name that I want people to refer to me as. But when they do, I understand. So what, what, what would you give, if you had to give yourself like a title, 
you know, I, I, not the queen pin, but what would you <laughs> give the title as that, you know, of your position and your role? Well, I was a queen pin. <laughs> that's let's call it a spade a spade that's, yeah I, i'm a, we I'm a, say I'm a former a, we could say former philly queen pin exactly exactly <laughs> because like i said when i look when i look back on my life you know there was a long time ago and when i look back on my life i myself when i watch my documentary like now when i do mentoring and i and i show my documentary to the juveniles i have to show them the documentary, because when I walk in the room, they're looking like, who the hell is this? <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Like, what's she in here for? And, <laughs> and so when I show the documentary, then it's like, oh, wow. So, yeah, I understand that that's a tag that I will have. But when you ask me, do I want to be referred by that? No. But I wanna... here to say. Right. I want to talk about your upbringing, because when I was reading about you, you went to Catholic school, you went to Temple University. You know, when we think about people in the drug business, we, we have this stereotypical thought, especially in the 80s, of what that person's upbringing was like. Right. But like right. I went to Catholic school and I knew a ton of drug dealers when I was growing up <laughs> because of the neighborhood that I lived in. And yes, I got straight A's. Yes, I did well in school. But when I went to the bodega, you met, you know, the, one of the Latin kings. When you when I went to the Chinese food place, there was one of the bloods. You know, when you went to the pizza st shop, you met the guy that was always standing on the corner and you know why he's standing on the corner and why he's always in that pizza shop. Can you talk about how your transition happened into that life, being a woman uh, who grew up in the Catholic household and, and then went to temple? Well, like you just said, I mean, you're describing inner city all across the country, right? Especially in the late seventies, eighties and early nineties. So when I was coming up, it was, starting our neighborhood was starting to change and you started to see guys that were driving really big cars really dressing they dressed back then they put clothes on back then you know what i mean hats and the barcelino hats and the top coats and things like you saw those things and so depending on where you were where you lived you know you were impressed somewhat by that and even though that wasn't where i came from i was aware of what was going on so, you know, by me meeting my husband who turned to be my husband in the late sixties, it was just common. I mean, young girls out of high school or maybe even in college were meeting guys that were making money right. mm -hmm. all over. And when you check Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland, New York, Philly, Baltimore, everything was the same going on at the same time. It's just the way it was, you know what right. I mean? So it was very common. And, and it's good that you mention that because sometimes when I'm telling my story, people don't understand. What do you mean? What do you, if, if you didn't, if you didn't live in inner cities, right? if you didn't go visit, maybe you, like my son, I raised him in New Jersey, but he would come to Philly mm -hmm. on the weekends and, 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 and in the summer. So he got the mix of a good education, but also street life. Right. So no matter where you were, during that time, the same things were going on. Right. So when you met your husband, like you said, you know, the, the cars, everything, did you know exactly what he was doing or did he have to have a conversation with you? Or, you know, like, was it one of those things that unraveled over time? Like, wait, I 
think I know, you know, what he's into, <laughs> what's going on. Like, how did you assess that, you know, was it just the love for him or just where the relationship we had it that you would be okay with, you know, going into and being a part of that life? I had heard about him. I mean, we we kind of knew. I, I was an athlete, so I traveled to different parts of the city. But you people's names were ringing, like who was in the street and who was doing this, who was doing that. So I had heard about him, even though I didn't have an interest in him. I had heard about him. And then when someone introduced us, you know, it was like, oh, hi. hi. You know, I felt those guys were like way above board for me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I would run into him from time to time. And right after one of my relationships had ended, we ran into each other and we started talking. I knew who he was. I knew about the car. I saw the car. You know, he was always dressed to the nines, tailored suits, tailored clothes. So you knew about it. So it wasn't a conversation. Like now I hear about people saying, oh, so-and-so, or you hear guy, you know, oh, this is what he does. You didn't talk like that back then. Right. <laughs> got it. Got it. You yeah. did not do that. And even now, when the young kids refer to what we call our connect back then, they refer to as a plug. Your plug was sacred. Mm. If you were my plug and you came to visit with me and I took you out, you were just like just my girlfriend. No one would ever know who you were. Right. You had to keep that person sacred. You had to put a, a cover around that person. Do you think that the drug um, lifestyle has been glorified over the years? Because it's funny you say that. Now you have guys posting money on social media and and doing all this stuff and getting themselves in trouble, exposing themselves. Do you feel like that's happening because that lifestyle has been a little glamorized over the years? A lot glamorized. Hmm. I mean, you know, remember, we didn't have social media. Right. Thank God we didn't because it would have been a whole bunch of stuff going on. People cheating and, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people would have been exposed for what they were doing back then. So, yes, social media has really made things wide open now. And people feel it's funny you said that because people feel because they can maybe talk to you or reach you on social media that they have a reach with you or they have Mm. a connection with you. And it's not like that. But social media, you know, opens up the door for people to feel that way, to feel like they're connected with you. Hmm. So it, it's it's a whole new world out here now. And I don't believe, I don't know, because I'm not in the game, but I don't believe that they're making money the way we made money back then. I don't believe that. I, you know, okay, rappers are getting money, you know, because they rap. They, they're getting these crazy contracts and things like that. But I don't believe if you're in a game, unless you're on a high, high level, I don't believe you're really making any money. These guys hanging on the corner with their pants hanging down, doing that hand to hand, they're not making any money. They can't even, they can't even pay for a lawyer or get bail. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> yeah, seriously. They're, they're living at home with, very their moms. Of them, with their mom or the, or their big mama. Right. right. Or, or girl, or their baby mom, or their baby mom. <laughs> right. And she's trying to carry the weight because they're really not really making any money. So is it really worth it? And then you have so many elements against you. And you know, like when, when we were in the game, you couldn't be where I am right now. And the feds hear me outside. You can do that now. 
Mm-hmm. All the high tech stuff that goes on, you know what I mean? The, the informants, you had the, of course you had the CIs and you had the snitches and informants, but not like you do today. I mean, they are really infiltrating, you know what I mean? Their, their friends and, and tapping into what's going on and passing that information on. So in reality, how long is your run going to be? Is it worth it? I don't think so. Hmm. Yeah. I- Good evening, everyone. My bad. I'm a little late. How you doing, Thelma? Um, I got two things to say. One, to piggyback off of what you were just saying. Uh, I actually believe you on that as far as like, um, you know, a lot of the kids or people in the game right now, ultimately, they make between 20 and 30,000. Like that's that's ultimately they, they can go and get a job from what they're doing out there with less risk <laughs> and a paycheck. Um, that's just from my viewing, you know, plus, like you said, you got to be able to pay for lawyer fees, you know, and as fast as it comes in, it goes out as it goes out. You got to live a certain lifestyle. Uh, two, we talked about this a little bit last week and you completely debunked my theory. Right. So I had the nerve to say last week, you know, yeah, some of the women kingpins, they don't be pretty, this, this, and that. And man, <laughs> you are gorgeous, Thelma. I just want to let you know that. You are phenomenal. So Thank yeah, I'm, I, whatever I had in my head, I'm sorry, <laughs> I am wrong. Nina, Shana, y'all were correct. <laughs> well, it's funny, we were talking about, and you know, I don't want to glorify the, the, the drug business, but it's, no. a, it's, a, it's a male-dominated industry. And I am in a male-dominated industry, just like sports is a male-dominated industry. So I naturally identify with you, you know, because you were a woman running a business, you know, uh, inside of a a world that there weren't a lot of women running businesses, that kind of business, especially in the 80s. So when Garnett and I were talking, I'm like, I kind of look up to her, not because of that, but because you were a woman running a business, you know? Right, in, in, in an era where women weren't running those kinds of businesses. Exactly. So, um, and Garnett's like, he pictures like this rough woman, you know, that's yeah. like c- carrying a gun or I don't know what's in his head, but I'm like, I think you really no, defy that. that. I get that though, because it's a rough game. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it it's a risky game. And, and, and I really believe, you know, People say, even even my brother, if you watch my documentary, who speaks on my documentaries, both of them, he's, he says, oh, she was lucky. No, I was blessed by God because he had a different plan for me. A couple of times I could have been taken out of here. You know what I'm saying? And, and I tried to stay away from the violence because the violence brings the heat. That's where the heat comes from. When the shootings and the kidnappings and the, and the gunplay comes into the game, that's where the problem comes in play. There's so many people, male and female, that have been involved in the game for many, many years, but they know how to move. They know how to get in, they know how to get out. They do what they have to do to keep on going. I don't know if they're still doing it now, maybe, but to me, the way the youngsters are doing stuff, and I will never glorify that game, what I did was wrong, completely wrong. I was, I don't know what, what I was thinking, but I really wasn't thinking. I just felt like I saw Jackie do what he did, even though he did it differently. And I felt like living in, living in LA, I could move around on the East Coast and be quiet with it. And that was how I started out. 
I will never glorify that game. It's a vicious cutthroat game. But I'll tell you what else is a vicious cutthroat game. The entertainment industry. Yes. Yes, it is. And oh. that's why that's why I was saying I identify with you in that way. And I look up to you in that way. Because aside from the, the illegal part of it, you're running a business and, and, and it's like you have to get people to trust you. How do you or respect you as a exactly. woman? Exactly. How do you get a man to respect you when he's only listened to other men his whole life? Well, see, my business was different. The, when I started out in doing this biz, doing that business, these were people who had done business with my husband. And they had survived through, it was a a bad drug war, people died, and they had survived through that. And so their mentality was just like mine. Let's get this money. It's not about a power move or a power takeover. They had enough sense to realize if something happens to me, what are they going to do? Finding a connect is not the same as going to the corner store or bodega, as you refer to it, and getting a bag of potato chips. (laughs) It's not like that. Right. It's hard, well, it was hard to find someone that you could connect with that had the same mindset that you had. And so I was able to utilize my husband's connect who was an older Asian woman. So she was like a mother to me and it was very important for her to keep myself and my son safe. Mm -hmm. So the people that I was doing business with, that's the way they thought. It wasn't about setting me up. It wasn't about taking me off. It wasn't about any of that. This madness that goes on now. And, you know, I watch power and I watch power to critique it actually, but it's, it's, you know, with the drug game, of course, comes the violence, but we have so much violence on TV now. I mean, it's crazy. And when I have been in a lot of pitch meetings for my project, and for it's hard for them to understand. Wow. Like you remember, did, did you all see the Godfather? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or did you see, did you see um, American gangster when Frank Lucas yes. and they're talking about, there's no way that this man was able to yeah. move the way he moved and not deal with, excuse my expression, the guineas, right? right. Because they didn't feel as though we had the smarts to do that. And so when I'm in these meetings about my story, because I never killed anyone, right? There was no violence that took place from me directly, but there was violence all around me. It's hard for them to understand how did she do that? Mm. Because we women are very shrewd. We women are thinkers, Mm -hmm. right? Ladies, we think about our maneuver. We think about how we want to handle particular things. And so that's what really kept me safe. I dealt with the people that I knew had love for my husband and they would have that same love for me. But it would make no sense for you to get your hands dirty because it's like, isn't the whole point for you to be as clean as possible so you can run your business and then you have the people around you who are the people doing things. It's almost like when I see these rappers, like, 
getting into shootouts or defending themselves. What are you doing? You're the money. (laughs) Like you're supposed to hire security. You're supposed to have people around you to deal with that. You should never be doing anything illegal. You shouldn't have an unregistered gun. Like you are the head of this business. You should be as clean as possible. I think it's ridiculous that they would expect for you to get your hands dirty when you're literally running the business. You're the one that has to be the cleanest. That's right. Absolutely right. And I just knew, you know, I had just come through this situation with my husband where, you know, people died, people got killed. There were investigations, there were all types of stuff. So why would I want to do something like that? I mean, like, really, it's not what I do. I remember things my husband said. And one thing in particular that he said, you don't always have to hurt people, just cut them off. You just cut them off, let them figure it out because sometimes that's going to hurt them even more that they can no longer get the product from you, maybe at the price that they were getting it from you. So, you know, yeah, maybe you're putting yourself in a position for something to happen to you, but mm, more than likely not because you had a a good relationship. And if you cut them, it was because they did something for you to cut them. Mm -hmm. Just very simple. Yeah, that's actually like a life lesson right there, more than even just dealing in the drug game, you know. It is. It is. I cut people all the time. (laughs) You talked about your son, too. And your son, you did such a wonderful job in raising him. I know your son, through all his entrepreneurial things that he's done and being passionate in your project and got to work alongside with him on things. How was it? And I know you said that you work with people that knew, you know, you had a son. How was just that mental shift of taking over the business, knowing, you know, that you had Jackie, too, that that needed you because now, you know, his dad was born. Well, that was my top priority. My top priority was to make sure that whatever I did, that he was always safe. You know what I mean? I never even when it came down to dating, I tried to be very selective about who I may have around him because my whole priority was to get him the best education that money could buy. And so how can you instill these values, you know, in your son and remember sons and mothers, they have like a unbreakable bond, you know? And so to try to instill these values in my son and then turn around and get a joker, that's not even about anything that's backwards to me. And so it it was very important to make sure that he was okay. That's why, you know, my father stepped in after my husband died, my brother stepped in. When I wasn't able to continue to take Jack on certain vacations, my brother and his wife and his family, he would go with them. And they were in Philly at the time. So, you know, I tried to give him a mix of both worlds, but his safety was very, very important to me. His welfare was very, so as long as he was okay, then I could do what I needed to do. And I know he he is very involved with making, you know, your projects and trying to get, you know, everything done. I see all the things that he's doing, you know, is that, I mean, obviously you, he's your son and you have a bond, but is that something you guys had a conversation about? Like, hey, I, you know, I'm going to, you know, move my story forward. You know, do you want to come along with me, son? Or was he really like mom every step of the way? He this stepped in. He just stepped in. And, and I trust, of course, I love him and I trust him. You know what I mean? And I feel like, you know, if there's any, any man that has my back, it's going to be him. And so, you know, even though I have the final say, you know, (laughs) I'm still mom, I have the final say on, you know, what, what we do, what we don't do, but I trust him. I trust, 
I trust his thinking. I trust his visions. Um, you know, so it was a thing where it was kind of like an unspoken thing where he just stepped in and then he had been doing things prior to me. So he had relationships. And then when he moved to LA, he built more relationships. So, you know, that it just kind of came together, just came. So we're really partners. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we, we bounce things off of each other. I, I really, I can't think of anything that I really do without running it by him. Like, what do you think? Even when it came down to me, me telling my story and then doing the book, if he had felt as though he couldn't handle it after I told him about me, I would never have done it. I would have never done it. I would have left it completely alone. He would have known and that would have been it. But he gave me the thumbs up. He said, hey, mom, we got to do this. You know what I mean? So I just let him go ahead with it. So that's how it's been. And, and so far, it's been an amazing ride. I mean, I, I never imagined that that book would take me where it has taken me. I did it more as a release because mm-hmm. it felt like the weight of the world was on me because I couldn't talk about things you know, and then once I was able to talk about things through the book, I felt so much better. And I see now why therapists always tell you to write things down, because once you do that, you it's it's an unle- it's you know, you're unleashing almost like these demons, you know what I mean, that you've been holding all this time. So it worked out. Everything fell into place exactly the way it's supposed to do. So your book is called With Eyes from Both Sides, Living My Life in and Out of the Game. Yes. With eyes from both sides. What does that mean? So this is my face. By the way, your eyes are very pretty. By Thank just, you. Yeah. By Thank way. you. Thank like you have what, green eyes? Yeah, they're green. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Garnett's in love. <laughs> <laughs> he might ask you to move in. <laughs> I'm going to come get you, Garnett. <laughs> so, so what it means is, it's it's funny. Um, I remember Jackie and I, this is in... 2009 or 10. Well, actually, no, it was actually eight. It was 2008. I had come back from Maryland. I had been laid off. I used to work in the mortgage industry and banking industry, and I had been laid off. And he said, mom, you should come back home. So I moved in with him and we got a bigger, a bigger unit. And he was at work. He comes in from work and I said, I got it. I got it. I was thinking about a title for the book. And I said, I got it. Well, this is what I get from him all the time. I don't know if you know anybody's a Virgo here. If you know about Virgos, like they're like, like, so he says, what is it? Look, what is it, mom? (laughs) (laughs) So I said, with eyes from both sides. And he said, where'd you get that from? Like, like I couldn't have thought of that, right? (laughs) So I said, well, think about it, Jack. I said, People may not remember my name, but they remember my eyes. I said, and I lived a double life. Here I was, Mm. soccer mom, going to your soccer games, going to your basketball games, going up in that school where people didn't even know who I was or what I was doing. I said, and then on the other side, I was living a life in the game. And so to me, it was like, you know, this double life thing. And then all the things that I'd seen through my eyes. And I felt like, you know what? I'm going to put my face on the front of that book. And this is going to be the title. And he liked it. And we ran with it. That's where it comes from. That's what it means. Were there any reservations about writing the book? Like, were you um, worried about incriminating yourself at all? 
No, because the statute of limitations had long been over. So, and if, <laughs> we if talked see, about that, and Garnett yeah, said that. <laughs> yeah, if you if you see when you open up my book, I, I address the three attorneys that I have. <laughs> Actually, I have one new one now. So, um, no, I wasn't worried about that. It's so crazy, though, after the book came. Well, the, I didn't know how the book was going to be received in Philly, right? So we had this launch party and it was really nice. And a lot of people came out. I sold almost 200 books that one night, which is for a self-published author. From what I hear, that's really good because right. normally it's just your friends and your family advise your book. Mm -hmm. But I think people were curious as to what I was writing about. And so when the book came out and people realized like, oh, she's not doing a tell-all, but she's telling, you know, what she was doing back in that time, people started to fall off, meaning so-called girlfriends. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what? you know, oh yeah, absolutely. Ab my circle probably is like this now. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People started to fall off. You know, they didn't, um, uh, they, one in particular didn't like the fact that I talked about my abuse. That was my abuse. I went through that. You didn't go through that. I went through that. They didn't like that. They, um, one person in particular didn't like what I said about her, which was the truth. I didn't lie about anything or anyone, but that's okay. Like, I feel like, you know, this is all, it was all God's plan. Like, this is the way it's supposed to be. You know what I mean? Everybody can't go with you. It's just that simple. So that was the surprising part of it all. That was really surprising to me. I never expected that. I never expected that kickback from people that I thought really cared about me and people that I thought I was close to. That was surprising, but it's okay. It's okay. Um, so you, to go back to what you said about power, so it seemed like you are a fan, right? Well, I do, you know what, at first, okay, so let's talk power one. I'll tell you about power, the first oh. one. The first one was, was, I thought it was exceptionally good, right? So much so that I remember, I think it was the second or third episode of that first power, I was staying in Jersey at the time in an apartment. That thing had me so spooked that I jumped up and looked out my window. <laughs> like, you know, it was a trigger. Like, oh my yeah. God, wow, right? So the first one was crazy. And then the second one, Power Book 2, mm -hmm. I kind of fell off. I just got back. I just got back to it because I didn't like the way they portrayed Mary as a mother. Mm. I didn't like the way it was like she was pushing her daughter out there and trying to almost telling her to sell her body and do what mm. she needed. I, I didn't, I'm old school. I, I, I didn't feel that. So I stopped watching it. Mm. And then I saw a lot of comments on social media for season two and I went back and I started watching it. So, so I was, it's just a lot of violence. You know what I mean? And then Sunday was Tommy, right? Right. Yeah. And I did, I, but I was a little thrown off by that. I, I think I need I to watch that again because it was a little bit confusing to me. It, it I was no, I was confused too. I feel the same way. I feel like I need to go back and watch. Yeah, I, think I, need I, I actually said last night I was going to watch it again because I had to wake up the next day like, wait, what happened? And then yeah. I fell asleep in the middle of it. I was Did like, you? and I woke up and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I was a little confused. <laughs> I mean, how did you feel about it? I, listen, I fell, I ended up falling asleep. I saw that he had a black brother out of nowhere and then yeah. I was passing out. So, but, but it's like 
Of course, Tommy will have a black, black brother. brother. Exactly. Of course. No, no yeah. surprise. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. And then, okay, he started out coming out of New York, going to Chicago, and then he, he runs into these people. I don't know. It was here. Yeah, it was a lot going on. It was a lot going on. That that's the best way. So I said, oh, you know what? I'm gonna have to watch that again and really pay attention. Maybe I'll get it. Cause I, I really didn't get it. You know, there's a lot of shows now where there's like women selling drugs. And, you know, to our point earlier, when you were doing it, that that just wasn't the case. Like you have Queen of the South, um, you know, obviously they made her a superwoman. <laughs> right. right. Um, you Then you have Mary and Power, even Snowfall. You have um, the aunt who who's now like a part of the drug game. And she's kind of like. You know, like kind of like the the brains, the 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 calm of the group. Right. right. Um, when you watch these shows, are you like critiquing and like no, yes, no? Absolutely, absolutely. I'll tell you about Snowfall. I like Snowfall. My son told me about the plug thing. Like I said, I didn't know. I said, plug, what is that? He said, mom, that's like the connect. I said, oh, he said, oh, we call him plug. I go, okay. So Snowfall, you know, is supposed to be a period piece, right? Back in the seventies when the crack epidemic got started. So I'm sitting there watching it and Franklin says to what's the other character with the with the with the big bush? The um, uncle. Um, no, not the uncle, friend. the young boy. The his young guy. The oh, Isaiah is his real name. name. Yeah. Isaiah is his name, but yeah. That was his man, Isaiah. right? Yeah. That, that was his man. So they're yeah, in a car yeah. together and Franklin, they're, they're, they're kind of like, get, it's getting a little heated and Franklin turns to him and says, I'm the plug. And I go, mm. Mm, you can't be the plug. Plugs ain't out yet. <laughs> it's a period piece. <laughs> kind of like when we when people saw an iPhone in the Tupac movie, like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. And I think on BMF, now that you're saying it, because I've been watching Black Mafia Family too. You're right. I don't remember them using plugs. I remember them saying connect. Saying connect because back then. <laughs> In the period pieces, it has to be a connect. We had beepers. We right. didn't have we. Okay, my first uh, my first phone was a big phone, damn near big as this book, but like <laughs> half of it, right? And then I had a phone in my five sixty SL, and it was little like this, and I could attach it to my dash. And when I got out of the car, I could pull it out. That cost me fifteen hundred. Wow. wow. Um, so that was what we were using, but still pay phones were around. Mm -hmm. And then we had the pages that started out beep, 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 right? Or we went to the pager where the message would run across. You could mm -hmm. read the message across. That's what we were using back then. There were no like cell phones like they're doing now, iPhones and all. You didn't have they that. should mm -hmm. hire you to do, con you know how they have the <laughs> continuality person? Uh, yeah, the person's job to like notice little things like that, the like that. Yeah. Well, you know what? They can't hire me because I got my own thing coming on. So, oh, okay. <laughs> but, but I'm critiquing this. I'm critiquing. I like them. I, I can't tell you that the only thing I didn't like was the Mary part about the daughter mm -hmm. and, and, but I like them, I, but I like to critique them because I want to be able to say what, what I don't want. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and, and I want to be able to pick up on those certain things like, you know, the the plug, the difference between the plug and the connect, the clothing, the music, you know, those kind of things are very, very important to my show because my show would have to be a period piece. 
the way I moved and the way I did things, you can't do it that way now. You can't send, well, you probably people probably trying it, but you can't really send stuff through the mail and you know, all that kind of stuff, the way we did things back then. Right. So, so okay. Go ahead, I, I was gonna say, no, speaking of like my family, I mean, I'm thinking about what you said of the statute limitations. When I was watching that, one of the things I noticed was that the two, I can't remember their names, the Flinnery brothers, right, their the Flinnery names brothers. are not actually on as executive producers. I know one just got out of jail in COVID and the other one is still in jail. And is that because it's tied to, you know, maybe like their ongoing cases? I do see other people in their family listed, but not them necessarily listed, which I thought was weird. Oh, you know what? It may be that son of Sam law or something where you are not supposed to profit or benefit mm. from your criminality. Okay. Oh. Okay. Cause I noticed that I was like, well, this is weird. It's about them. The yeah. one, you know, the son of the uh, big meat who's still in jail is right. playing him. But I was like, but they're not listed as executive producers. There That's was someone in their family listed, but not them. Yeah. That, that may be, it, it, it's all in how the contract was done. Um, but that may play a part in it. I had to look next time because I was watching BMF too. I like BMF. Yeah, yeah, I like. It. Oh, you know, you okay? So you watch BMF? So you remember Lamar? Yes. There was a Lamar in every city. <laughs> I'm scared. I fell out of how you did it then because Lamar scared look, me. Look, <laughs> this is all I. This is all I can do. There was a Lamar in every city, and and one night I was watching it, and I tweeted that. I was like, wow. there was a, Lam and that's the truth. That's the truth. There was a Lamar in every city. Always a person who felt like you don't deserve your position. Where you this is what happened with my husband. You don't deserve the position where you are, or maybe the respect this, that you're garnering from other people and things like that. And they want to take over and here they come. Mm. Every, every, um, when I say every, Baltimore, Oakland, New York, Philly, Detroit, Chicago, I'm telling you, everybody had a Lamar. Wow. <laughs> That's like why I knew, like 50 was really, 50 really, you know, or his research people, like they really did their homework. And plus he was in the game, I guess, I think, right? So, right. you know, no, they kind of knew. He was, did you hear me Richard die trying? He was. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but they're all interesting. I mean, he he basically has everything on lock right now. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, he does. He pretty much does. Yeah, yeah, we're coming. <laughs> all right, <laughs> With your story, um, is there anything as far as like an underlining theme that you would like try to give to your viewers as far as like I know you're telling your story and your experience, but it sounds like you also want to teach people as well to like not go a certain route. So would there be like a narrative as far as like, hey, listen, you know, you're doing all these things. Of course, it's TV, right? So even if you don't want it to look, you know, sexy and alluring, it kind it kind of, you know, it's going to have to just a tad bit just because of what it is, especially if you right. tell the truth. You know, I know you were super fly when all of this was going on. So, you know, you you got to show it all. So you like, have to. you have to be like some. Well, um, what what would you like your like underlining theme to be for the viewers that actually get a chance to see it and, you know, take take the take the I guess the good out of it and not just the allure of it. Well, we definitely don't want to glorify it. That's number one. 
But number two, more importantly, it's a, my story is a story of survival of a mother who is doing willing to do whatever she needs to do to survive for her and her son. That's my story. And you will not, you know, you're not going to see, but it's entertainment. So you got to embellish, you know what I mean? There's mm -hmm. certain elements that you have to have. Like I said, the music, the clothing, the, the, you know, the, the, it has to play the way things were in that period. But more importantly, you know, there will be messages that will, that will come, you know, hopefully will resonate with that audience that, wow, this woman did what she needed to do and she's willing to do what she needs to do to survive and take care of her son. So that, um, that's important to me as my story. That's very important to me. It's funny how for some people, money is a motivating factor, but for you, it was really just so much as I already know this business because my husband was doing it. He passed away. Let me continue it for my son, which is what I get from you. Instead of I'm doing this because of my pride or my ego or money or greed. It was more so about your child. Exactly. And, and I, you know, having been with Jackie almost 10 years when he died, this was our life, right? Even though he was the head of our family, this is what he did. He provided for us, right? But Jackie was a person, he was a planner and he thought ahead and he thought about my son's education and schooling and those kind of things. So it was very important to me after he died that I try my best to do what I could to continue what we had talked about. And so that's where it comes from. And so even though I had established myself in LA, I had a sportswear company, you know, that was really up and coming and I was doing pretty good with it. And, um, but I felt as though, okay, this is, this is really big money. I can take this money and I can stack this money. I can get some assets so we can really be cool in the future. That's really what it was all about. You know what I mean? So um, that's why my story to me is very, very important. I must be a consultant on my story so I can make sure that it, it has to be entertainment though. I don't, I don't, I don't want it to be boring. You know, it has to be entertainment, but there's a way that that message can be out there where people will understand. I don't want to be the superwoman of, um, what's her name? Um, Queen, Queen of the Queen South. South. They lost me in season three. Because I felt like, and when we had our meeting with USA, I told them, I said, she needs a cape. <laughs> I said, because, because you got her doing things that women just can't do. I mean, just remember, even though we're in the business, we're still women. Mm -hmm. We still cry. We're still fragile. We got tempers, though. You know what I mean? We can carry some things out or, or make sure that some things are carried out. We can direct. We can guide. But we're not super women. Yeah. And in, in Twin the South, I noticed a lot of her shootouts. You notice, did she ever get shot? I don't know if she ever got. <laughs> I don't know. She might have got nicked like. Right. But... <laughs> so I, I needed to make. Well, sense. you can't be in that many shootouts and not right. get shot. Yeah, right? you, you know, you, it's got to make sense, though. It's got to make sense. So, but yeah, that would be my message. It's it's a story of survival, and the way I want it portrayed, women of all nationalities will understand and go, hmm, I would do that. Mm -hmm. I would do that. You know what I mean? Because it's easy for people to sit back and critique and say, oh, why did you do that? You shouldn't have did this. Yeah. Put yourself in that situation. And what would you do? Mm. It's just something to think about. What would you do? Right. 
So I, I know you are, you know, you're big on like the, the time pieces and all that stuff and like having it be like structured in that time when you do want to shoot it. So what was like your, your, your get money song back in the day? when you was <laughs> like, ah, what, what was your theme song? Like, ooh, I need this Teddy P on right now. Okay, <laughs> so I'm a huge Anita Baker fan, right? From Anita Baker's collection, it was joy because my son was 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 my lifeline. And control, Janet Jackson, yeah. I'm in control. And it's funny, when, when I was watching the documentary, what was it, last week it was yeah. on? Yeah. Someone said, someone, this is why I can't, I can't even get on uh, Facebook right now because it just drives me nuts sometimes. I like Instagram better or Twitter. But someone said on Facebook, oh, now I understand control has a whole new meaning now. I'm like, what the hell was you thinking? Like, she's in control. Like, this is, that's what the song was all about. She was tired of people telling her what to do. And, you know, now I'm in control. So that was very special to me. So you was riding around in your car selling drugs, bumping Janet Jackson, Thelma? Yes. I love it. Janet Jackson, Anita Baker. I love Anita to this day. Like, and back then I used to travel a lot. So wherever Anita Baker was, if I was coming in that town, I had to go. Have you met any of like, the other kingpins, like the Frank Lucases, or have you met anybody else? No, I met, well, I actually talked to Jamika Thompson. You know who she is? Mm -mm. No. Jamika is a black female out of LA. Our, our time was somewhat similar, meaning I think she may have started in 85 and she had a husband who got killed. And I think they started with marijuana when they were in school or something like that. And then she got into cocaine. Um, and when her husband got killed, he got killed, I think at a car wash or something. Her son was like three. So it's mm -hmm. kind of a similar story, mm -hmm. but she ended up hooking up with a guy out of, I believe it was Detroit and he ended up turning her in. Okay. He snitched on her and that's how no. she got caught. And she went to jail for like 13 years or something like that. Uh, but we've talked. Um, that, and then there's, a, there's a, a young, she calls me big sis. She's out in New York, out of Harlem. And since the trap Queens, um, documentaries have come out, right. we've talked because she's going to be on season three. Um, but no, I haven't met any of the, uh, well, you got to know, like a lot of the men are older, deceased, yeah. you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, but no, I haven't met anybody like that. You went to prison. You went no. to prison. Wow. I was never caught. <laughs> I was never caught. I don't have a criminal record. I don't even have a Jewy record. What? That's, that's what I tell you. I was blessed. I would. That's not luck. That's God. Yeah. Mm. Because, I, you know, what I do now, I, I, you know, I mentor, right? So I, I'll go wherever I'm needed. I'll, you know, I have contracts all over. Like right now I'm, I'm working in Philly. And I'm working with these with the juveniles and I'm working with the um, community service providers along with the DHS. They work together. And so I go and I might do a six week or eight week or yeah, contract with these juveniles. Matter of fact, I was at one of the schools, North Philly, where I had little girls from seven, eight and nine years old. I, they blew me away because the stuff that they say mm -hmm. is like I, I was like huh? Like, 
And so they told me when I got there with those girls that they had a disciplinary problem with the girls. And by the time I finished with them, it had gone down 12%. Oh, wow. wow. So that's, you know, really good. But, um, you know, it's, it's uh, to me, God spared me to do, I feel that I'm supposed to do what I'm doing now, which is to reach back and give back and say, hey, you might want to think about that a little more. You don't really want to do that. Even like with the carjackings, like my contract now, I work on Mondays um, with the kids after school and I'm talking to them about gun violence and I'm talking to them about the carjackings and robberies. And I'm, and, and I'm so amazed that these kids, they don't know the laws. Mm. They don't understand how they're putting themselves in jeopardy. Like I explained to them, listen, if uh, Junebug pulls up on you and he's in a car and you know he doesn't have a car, don't get in that car. Right. Don't get so in that you're car. You're an accessory to, to a theft. And it may be your last ride. <laughs> oh, and that, <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe your last ride. Because people are now fighting back. Yep. Everybody's carrying a gun, male, female, old, young. People feel they need to defend themselves. So if you can go and get a legal weapon, that's what they're doing. And some are not legal, but people are fighting back. And so I'm trying to explain to them, you know, just because and these programs that I'm working are, are programs where the kids have been mandated to go to these programs. They have to come. And I'm explaining to them, just because you made a mistake doesn't define who you are. You can change your life. You can do something different. It's totally up to you. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to try to give you things to think about. And so I talked to them about that. I talked to them about the laws. I talked to them about, I gave them an example of, if you really think you want to take this ride, because your next step could be prison, go in a bathroom Lock yourself in that bathroom for 23 hours. Mm. When you're hungry, knock on the door. Somebody will bring you your food. You get one hour out, you got 23 in. Mm. In that bathroom, you're going to have your cot. You got your bath, your toilet, your your vanity. You know what I mean? And you're going to keep your personal belongings in that room with you for 23 hours. Now, if you think you can do that, go ahead and do what you're going to do. Ride it out. Because you always get some kids that feel like I can ride, I can do it. Oh, it's a joke. They think it's funny. They think it's a joke. Yeah. I got one kid right now, 14 years old, that has a million dollar bail on an attempted murder. 14. 14. 14. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, he's not even old enough to like really even know what he's doing yet you know and those are like life-changing decisions you know early on that can shape and mold you you know and you didn't even give yourself a real chance to like being somebody yet like that's that's, wow that's 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 heavy that's heavy and if you notice if you notice on the news they're they're, they are like 14 14 18 doing the car yeah the, the kids that killed pop smoke teenagers all of them i think maybe one of them was 20 Right. Wow. One of them got charged mm-hmm. as an adult, a 20 year old. Yeah. He might be 21. They're all teenagers. It's sad. It, Four it's, of them. They what? try to rob him. And yeah, it's yeah. a it's a murder charge. <laughs> but remember now, some of these kids are taking care of themselves. Mm. 
Some of them are taking care of themselves. The, you know, people would be surprised about the teenage homelessness. Um, it, it's, no, I know. I worked with with a couple of uh, teen homeless shelters in the city. It, yeah, yeah. And, and I think I, I, it's it, when you talk to some of them, it's like their parents are just not present. Like it's not even like their parent is dead right? <laughs> or, you know, it's right. just like their parents, some of these parents just don't care, which I just don't even understand. To I be understand. honest. One of the kids told me uh, yesterday, you know, I, I was, we were doing this thing. It was no right or wrong answer to this, but I wanted to get their feedback. And I was asking them, did they feel as though parents should take parenting classes? And one of the kids hollered out, yes. <laughs> he said yes and I said why I said why do you feel that way he said because they're so tricked up like parents are getting high with their kids and all which is true you know but I just I like to get their feedback kids really want someone to listen to them mm-hmm. they they want to be vocal and and they want to be able to say things you know what I mean and I had a couple of cussers in the room I'm like oh, hold up <laughs> hold up not having that right not having that, you know, but, um, I get it. You know, they, they, they want to be able to express themselves and they want to be able to, they want to be able to trust you. That's number one. And then they want to be able to express themselves and talk freely. So, you know, I allow them to do that, but I also try to help them and guide them and give them things to think about. And that's really what it's all about. Right. So do you have another book on the way? And I know you said you're working on a documentary. So what do you have coming up? Well, we have two documentaries done already. No more documentaries. Now we're having conversations about a TV series. Oh, we had had a deal um, with USA. Mary J. Blige was executive producer. I saw that. Yeah. Billy Rain. Right. Yep. And so after 18 months and it was a development deal and was moving along while they had a change in the regime in USA, some of the top executives left. And one of the executives who was head of our project, he left. And so they wanted, they felt as though our story wasn't a good fit for Peacock, which it wouldn't have been. No, no. So, you know, I I feel like, you know, when one door closes, another one opens wider. So that's where we are. We've been having conversations about who we're going to be with next. And I feel like it'll be bigger and better. You know, I, I, that's just the way I feel. Right. So, uh, you know, I, it was a little disappointing, but not totally because like I said, I felt like, oh, okay, all right, well, we'll keep it moving. So that's what we've been doing, but I've learned, you know, I, Jackie and I talk about this all the time. Like, you know, everything we've been through, we, we learn from it. And this whole ride started for me in 2008. I didn't even have a book yet. Someone in LA asked me to come out for a meeting because they were pitched a little bit of my story. I didn't know nothing about that. And they wanted to do a feature film, but they had me smoking cigarettes and gun toting. That's not me. (laughs) (laughs) That's not me. But I hadn't even talked to Jackie yet to tell him, you know, what I had been involved in. So I needed to do that. And then once I talked with him, he was like, okay, cool. But then they had an option for 18 months and they didn't pick it up. So that worked in my favor. So I went on and did the book. 2011, I did the book. 2012, 2013, I did the first documentary, which is on Gangsters, America's Most Evil for Biography. And then- um, Before you go, I wanted to interject. I saw that and I'm like, 
Do you really feel like you're evil? Because no. you're not evil. Right. No. It's like the not title no. is like the most evil gangsters. I know. And I, was like... I know. I know. No, not at all. And then the Trap Queens one with, that I did for BT. Right. Yeah. I, I'm not a trap queen. I'm not. A, I wasn't in the house. <laughs> you was listening to Fetty Wap, Thelma. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I don't know. But um, no, no more documentaries. I think the documentaries are good. Um, I'm not good. I do want to do other books, but I would hope maybe down the line that I could get a book deal because I did this one self-published. Right. There are some things that I really want to talk about. One in particular is reference to the book. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, but more so, I just want to concentrate now on getting this TV thing done. That's what I really want to do. That's where we are with that. Yeah. Well, yeah. it will happen for you, Thelma. Definitely it will. It will. You it ran will a happen. drug business in the 80s. You can, <laughs> you can do a TV series, Thelma. Right. You raised a very <laughs> smart son, so he ain't going to give up either. No, he's not going to give up. He moves out. That's, hey, Jackie moves out, I tell you. If you need a Spanish drug dealer, hire me for your TV series. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send my goons to the bodega. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Thank I appreciate you. that. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for your story. Thank you for All right. your time. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. <laughs> All right. How amazing was she? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's, uh, man, she's, she's the life of the party. She's a star. <laughs> she really is. She, she's a superstar. Was she, yo, your question was the best question ever. When she said Anita Baker, I would, I almost died because it's not what we expect, right? But I love that about her. That's, she's not what you expect. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, she it, photo was dope. Like I pictured her in a car with the cell phone because <laughs> I'm so visual like that. Like in watching all these other ones. I picture her listening to control. Like yeah. I pictured it. Like the words going like, I get it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you you got, you know, everybody got that song or songs, you know, in a moment where stuff is going right, you grooving, and it's like, this is the song I'm gonna put on replay because this is this is a soundtrack of my life right now. So yeah, definitely I I didn't know what to expect as far as like what song she was going to pick. I know, I guess the majority of them had to be like, I was expecting like some Teddy Pendergrass or like some Luther, but I, I definitely dig the Anita Baker. I got Anita Baker on my on my playlist. I, that's my Get Money song too. Definitely some Anita <laughs> Baker. Yeah. She was incredible. Well, what else do we need to do? Nothing. <laughs> that's the 212 episode of the Mina's House podcast. Thank you to Thelma Wright for joining us. Uh, we will talk to you next week. I'm Mina Say What? I'm Shana B. Garnett Briscoe. <laughs> Bye, guys.